a podcast to honor the gods. This better come with a sacrifice. Dave's X Media. Hey friends, it's me, Christina. I'm sure you know my voice by now. I'm here to welcome you to this very special main feed airing of one of our Patreon bonus episodes. We release a bonus episode every month on our Patreon feed, The Detention Crew, for our $5 a month and up patrons. So I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank our patrons from the bottom of my heart for all they do to support this podcast. You are wonderful, you are magical, and you are special to me. If you want to support our podcast as well as support trans youth in America, um, we do donate our net proceeds to Camp Lilac, which is a wonderful nonprofit for trans and gender nonconforming, gender questioning youth um, here in the States. They run an actual camp and then they do a lot of really cool stuff on the side. Um, So if you want to support us as well as supporting those trans youth, please sign up for our Patreon. The link is in the show notes. But for the time being, love you patrons. Love you, love you, love you. They're used to this kind of, what's it called? Affection bombing? Oh, love. It's called love bombing. I am love bombing you. The abuse, <laughs> the abuse was back in order of the Phoenix. Am I right? Okay, I shouldn't be doing this. This is a bad. This is a bad analogy. I love you guys. Bye. Welcome to the restricted section after hours detention crew. I, wait, I, don't, I never remember what our Patreon show is <laughs> called, actually. I think it's after hours. After dark. After dark. That's, okay, Andrew, is that what you think it should be called? No, I, I, it, this is your show, honey. You, you do whatever you need to do. But yeah, but I am going to save that sound clip of you whispering after dark. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I'm not shy about the clip, but I'm just, I, I, ooh, I'm not getting in on that one. Uh, Brooke, what about you? What do you think this uh, this Patreon show is called? I Best guess. thought that it was also restricted section or like detention crew. Detention crew. Because yeah. that's what everything else is. Yeah. Well, the Facebook thing. We have a Facebook it's linked in the show notes. Come join us. Anyway, this week we're, nope, this month, these are monthly episodes. We're covering uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the movie, not the little pamphlety book, um, the 2016 film about Newt Scamander, um, the author of the fictional book, fan- well, not so fictional <laughs> because J.K. Rowling wrote it, but whatever. Um, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. <laughs> I feel like I'm not making sense today, but I am trying my hardest. So just keep that in mind. That's okay. That's important. That's all we care about. (laughs) You just got to (laughs) try. So do we like this movie? Yay or nay? Yeah. Yeah. I do. Yeah. And and that's about the perfect reaction that we all just have, right? (laughs) Like it's not groundbreaking or amazing or fantastic, but it It is fantastic. Are you joking me? It, it It's a movie. It's Fantastic Beasts. It's a pretty good movie. Like, I... So when we thought about recording this episode, I told Christina that I am willing to come on and tacitly defend this film. 
And like, <laughs> I don't think most people take issue with this first installment. I think it's the second installment that um, where where it gets pretty divisive. Um, so I, we may never cover it because I don't like arguing with my friends. Um, I know the entirety of this podcast would say otherwise, but um, if you don't like arguing with my friends, then me and Andrew were the wrong parent <laughs> for this episode. But we all like this movie, so it's going to be a really boring episode about how we all kind of just like it. <laughs> it's charming. We can start off with all the things we hate about it, if that helps spice it up. Yeah, I'd love to talk about Tina as well. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Hate her. Hate her milk toast persona. Hate she's the like fact a, that she's like a forced protagonist. There's a really terribly shoehorned romance in at the last like five minutes. Yeah, I, I consider this to be probably one of the most egregious offenses of unnecessary romance in the history of literature. They really have less chemistry than, like, an Alabama science class. Like, there is nothing going on between the two. Whoa. <laughs> that was very funny. <laughs> yeah, and they, they, like, keep giving her really forced protagonist moments that other characters could have done just the same. Um, like, there's this moment where she's the one who catches the, like, giant Occamy bird in the teapot. Um, anyone can hold a teapot. And then she, like, talks Credence down from being an obscure, just diving right into the climate. I guess and it's like hey other people know how to say words too like she, she's definitely judging from the rest of the movie not even that good at saying words here's the thing that ultimately I hate about this film and it's just the one thing that I really hate and it, it lends itself to why Tina ends up as this terrible force protagonist and it's that it all takes place in New York City and it simply didn't have to Right. I would have vastly preferred a travelogue, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean, of like different things happening, weave a, an overall plot in, sure, fine, whatever, but like take us different places. Like the first thing they introduce in the film is that we're going to be trying to uh, release this like weather controlling bird into the wilds of Arizona. Just fucking go to Arizona. Why yeah, are we like, stuck in well New York City for a beast finding movie right it definitely could have been like a more of like a video game style like cross-country roundup mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well you could have hit like chicago and seen the chicago skyline being built you could have hit like you know san francisco and then made your way down to like la in the 1920s the star era and stuff but no right no let's really just get real deeply involved in this one fictional senator's case yeah, yeah, and they they can apparate, so it's like they like you don't even have to explain how they get to Arizona. Just go yeah. to Arizona, you know. And the obscurest thing is only important in terms of the franchise, such as it is. Like it's not actually a necessary element to the plot. Allow me to fix this movie real fast. Do it. I want a twenties era mob of beast smugglers who are operating in the U.S. and Newt Scamander gets called in as the expert to round up and bust the mob-style beast smuggling ring. Right, Boom. and that way it really, like, would elevate his expertise rather than, I mean, he's um, framed definitely for the first part of this film as a criminal, which is, you know, that sucks, especially since he's being so obstinately, like, pursued by this god-awful magical detective, Tina. <laughs> He's also just like, he's not really, for the fact that he is absolutely an expert, he literally writes the book on this shit. Yes. He's presented as just like 
a hobbyist. You know what I mean? Like he's presented exactly the same as your friend who has a lot of flowers in their kitchen and you go to them for advice when your rose won't bloom as opposed to like a top tier level researcher, which is what he should be depicted as. Yeah, I guess maybe like the book is what gave him that, you know, in like the history of his life or whatever, like the book is what gave him that authority. I don't know how the magical world does research. Ugh, that's a do they a hell of a starter <laughs> sentence but like in the muggle world typically the way that this works is you get like a grant <laughs> you know what i right. mean like you're you're being funded by someone to do this level of sweeping research because like hobbyists ultimately don't write definitive textbooks right well and they they even go to the extent of making note of the fact that a he was expelled from hogwarts so he doesn't actually have a degree and then b he he spent time at well i mean you know what i mean but like he he doesn't even have like owls or anything to our knowledge or newts at least yeah well he is he's got all the newts he is the newt he's the only newt (laughs) um but anyway so like we we, he did that, and then he says that he was in the war. He worked with the Rhodesian Ridgebacks or something like that. So, yeah, like, that's, that's true. The, that, that is kind of in the right field, but yeah, once again, in the military, military way. Experience. But it's just weird because it's like she's almost trying to make him, or I guess I assumed Rowling wrote something about this or some sort of. She the plot. is credited as the sole writer of this. Film. Okay, because like it's almost like she's trying to make him one of those like British like upper class genteel folks who would go and be like, I'm going to go to Egypt and find a pyramid and would just like, you know, fund their own expedition where they just go and have the locals do all the work. Right. That's almost the way it comes off is like the gentleman explorer. I support that reading, but you did bring up something that is a plot hole for me, which is, yeah, he didn't graduate from Hogwarts. And like what we know from Hagrid is that you just don't get to practice magic if you do. Yeah. It's a little bit of an issue. <laughs> I, the, but some people, I like, I think that some people do not pursue their newts. Um, so I wonder if you like pass your owls, like, but not your newts if you're like, per- because I'm pretty sure Hagrid, Hagrid was booted. Uh, I actually don't know if they tell us how old he was. Well, and th- there's also the idea that not all expulsions are going to be the same necessarily. Right. Like it might be that if you fail in a way that's dangerous in like a purposeful way, right? Like attacking or if someone, you're they half might giant, right? Maybe. And you supposedly sick creature because there's also, I mean, you can make the argument that maybe it, there was a very clunkily written argument there about how Newt was able to keep his wand because he comes from a good family and is, you know, his brother right. was a hero in the war, and so and he Dumbledore didn't lose it. And, for him, yeah, I really love newt in this and i think that's like part of why like tina is so constantly trying to ruin everything for newt both in the narrative and like stealing his limelight as the main character and like i think that he could i mean he he's such a wonderful main character i read him as being on the autism spectrum he is really handsome and charming and he has like this really special unique interest like he is such a durable protagonist on his own that like Tina encroaching just, I'm like protecting my baby. I'm like, this is Newt's movie. Get the fuck out of here. I'll be honest. When uh, Part of me was thinking of, uh, did you ever see the movie Sucker Punch back yes, in the day? a long time ago though, but I do remember um, that it is very sexy to look at. 
Well, the the main thing about Sucker Punch is like they made a 90 minute movie when they would have been better off making like a 25 to 30 minute movie that was just the fight scenes. Right. Right. And like, I would love a 25 to 30 minute movie that's just Newt doing shit with animals. Like maybe he doesn't even talk. It's just him like doing different scenes. Kind of like what you said, Brooke, but like even just not even a full movie. Just like. Oh my God. Like, like 30... an episode of, um, oh my God. What? Hold on. What? Almost what like Crocodile it? Hunter or something. Right. But like magical Crocodile Hunter, but being nice. No, I was going to say, um, like Mr. Rogers neighborhood where he just like walks you around his like. He's like, well, yeah. now we're going to go visit my friend, the Thunderbird. Right. Like, that would have been dope. I I would have been fine with that. I, I don't know. Like, I understand because I think the problem is what they tried to do is twofold when they should have just focused on one thing. They should have either told the story of Newt, which is not enough. There's just not enough in there of actually about him. Right. They, they like, could have done the war stuff. If they wanted action-y stuff or whatever. But they could have done that, or they could have done this intro of Grindelwald. And that that's what really fucks it up for me. Yeah, I just resent that he's in this film so much. Yeah. This would have worked so well as, like, a limited series. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, because it's very, like, crimey. It definitely lends itself to a more, like, episodic mm-hmm, nature. Mm-hmm. And I agree with everything you say about Newt, though. Like, he is an... Eddie Redmayne, I've just never seen him play a non-charming character, quite frankly. Like, Well, you know, you've seen his face. I mean, he's just like, he's a cutie pie. I have no sexual attraction to him whatsoever. Right. He's my favorite child. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just want to protect him and give him animals to take care of. Yeah, I just like, I like him. I like him instantly. The, the moment that he's introduced, just like gently talking to an animal that's trying to break out of a suitcase, you're just like, oh, look at this guy. Like, he's just trying to live his life. Like, he's got friends in a suitcase. Like, you don't need to know anything about him. You just, like, instant. he's so instantly likable. The other two instantly likable characters in this are Queenie and um, the... Jonathan. Is Jonathan the muggle dude? Yeah. Yeah. I always think about my godfather. I call him Uncle Mike. He's my dad's best friend from childhood. And my dad likes to tell the story about how in eighth grade, he got an award in class for being the quickest person to respond the most enthusiastically with the wrong answer. I think about him a lot because I also like to answer questions really quickly and enthusiastically. And I also tend to often have the wrong answer. I'm going to tell you right now that I really enthusiastically asserted my expertise and said that this character's name is Jonathan. For some reason, it's not Jonathan. This character's name is Jacob. And I literally don't know what in my brain (laughs) convinced me that his name was Jonathan. But for this whole episode, we do call him Jonathan. And that's my bad. And literally, I was like trying to find a picture of Jonathan and Queenie together. Uh huh. And I was like Googling it, and nothing really came up except for this couple. who runs a yoga studio called Fair Yoga. And I was like, why isn't this bringing up any Fantastic Beast pictures? And then I dropped that in our Discord chat. I was like, hey, I was Googling Jonathan and Queenie, and then I found this yoga people. And then everyone is like, who the fuck is Jonathan? (laughs) Oh, and then Claire so kindly was just like, yeah, Kowalski's name is Jacob in Fantastic Beasts. And I was like, damn. 
Um, so that's the story of how I'm a fucking idiot. So just like, excuse me forever. So instantly likable. I love their love story. I love everything about them as characters. You know what? They have, they, that's because they were written as characters. Tina is not a character. She's a narc. She's a bad narc. That's not a character. <laughs> Queenie is my absolute hero. Uh, strange men roll into her house. She's in her underwear. She's like, I am delighted to be in this moment right now. Yeah. <laughs> yep. She like, she's like, well, let me just give him a show. She puts on her dress like so seductively. <laughs> she yep. just, she's like, I'm gonna cook him dinner too. She just like eats up that roll. I just respect her so much for it. I also love that like, this is gonna be a little bit of a feminist sidebar. So let me go. Okay. One of the first things she says, because he gets really nervous, and she looks at him and she's like, hey, don't worry, honey. Like, that's most guys' first thought when they see me. Yeah, right? Jonathan, right? Yeah, yeah, Jonathan. And it's like, okay, cool, great. I love that line for a lot of reasons. Here's why. Terrible, shitty dudes always try to pretend that they don't think you're hot. It's the first thing that they do. If you try to, like, call them out where you're like, hey, like, Saw you were staring at me. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. You need to get over yourself. Like that shitty dude attitude. Um, And so the fact that she can read minds and just calls that shit out. And he, instead of fighting it, is just like, well, she knows. (laughs) Yeah, and I I mean, look at you, of course. (laughs) Yeah, and he's literally just like, I mean, fuck yeah, you're hot as shit. And she's just like, I am. Thank you. Like, (laughs) that is a great intro moment because that's her coming in real strong, just being like, fuck you. I know what I like. I know who I am. I know what I look like. Like, I know my limitations. I know when I get annoying. Like, she's a very self-aware character. He is also a very self-aware character, which is kind of surprising. But, like, when you break him down, like, he knows exactly why he wants to open a bakery. He has a military history that he, at this point, is like, yeah, it kind of sucks because, like, people won't listen to me. People won't, like, actually give me a shot because I have this gap on my resume that shouldn't be a gap. Like, he's just trying to get ahead in life, but he, like, knows exactly what he wants in the world. And, like, a second that he meets Queenie, he's like, you're part of that instantly I know that you're part of that and she's like instantly I want to be part of that and I am so glad that you recognized it and like that's why they work that's why she is a strong female character I will fight for Queenie all day that is why he is a strong male character without being toxically masculine and that is why they have a great romance as a whole yeah, and um, I'll just go ahead and say right now that I think we're probably not going to re- worry that much about spoilers for the sequel. Therefore, that's pretty much like the only thing I really appreciated about the sequel is you got to see Queenie and Jonathan get back together. Yeah, although it also sucks because they were just like, mm, we nailed it. So what if we just throw a giant wrench in this shit? And it's like, ugh, you didn't need to. Right. They're perfect. I love them. Leave them be. They are, they're the perfect couple. I love that, like, she's tall and skinny and he's short and fat. He, they're both incredibly attractive in, like, very different ways. Uh, he's one of those people where, like, where it's, he's like, is he cute? And then, like, as soon as he starts talking, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's cute. Yep. Like Jack Black, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so Queenie is, let's talk about this for a minute. She's a legilimens. And the way that it's framed almost makes it seem like she was, like, born with it because she's like, I'm a legilimens. She's like, 
fluent at it. And like Tina clearly never knows what the fuck is going on. She's not at all. So like, do we think she was born with it? Or like, do you think she taught herself it? Like you, like on Duolingo or something? I, I, I think not only was she born with it, I don't think she can control it. I yeah. think that it is literally something that try as she does, it just always happens, right? Like, Aww. I think it's more of a curse than a gift to her. Yeah. Yeah, because she makes a couple She makes a couple of mentions to it being a thing that she, like, can't help or can't turn off. She right. does say, I think, verbatim, I can't help it. Yeah. But but it's then it's like, it's your responsibility to stop bringing it up to me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and once again, it, we don't really get to see this, but I could... That totally is something that if we had that in society, a random group of people that could just not even control it, but totally read your mind. They, they would be kidnapped w- by the military. Well, that, For yes. Sure. And they would also be very looked down upon because they would know everything. I don't know like, that they would be looked down upon, but I think that they ultimately wouldn't have a lot of friends. I, I don't think they would have a lot of freedoms. <laughs> I think they would not. I don't think they would have an equality. To them, it, I think they would pretty much just suck. Would suck all around. I yeah, think. Yeah. Just like poor, poor Edward Cullen. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so Queenie's like boyfriend thing, Jonathan. Um, he's <laughs> what the Americans call a nomad, which like, gross. Ugh, I, I hate. I, God, I hate it. I read that it's because in the 1920s, when this movie was set, the word "muggle" in America meant marijuana. Isn't that interesting? It meant marijuana as a noun? I think so. Okay. I think this is probably one of those things that's ungoogleable after Harry Potter. <laughs> I just like I get I'm trying to figure out if it's it like it oh, is it means um uh like joints. So um like some muggles. A muggle is a joint. Smoke two muggles in the morning. <laughs> I smoke, smoke two, two muggles, muggles at, night. at night. It sounds just as good as the original. Yeah, yeah, totes. <laughs> oh um, wow. Okay. I, I don't know. I feel like that's one of those things that I I just mm. I'm gonna fix that for them real fast. Okay, go ahead. If that's what it means, what if it's just a thing where uh, it's a borrow word that slipped into the muggle world from the wizarding world because people associate wizards with being kooks and people that smoke marijuana with being kooks at that time. That's yeah. great. That And you know what? That Words do work in mysterious ways. So you can pretty much explain away almost any entomology. And etymology, not entomology, which is study of insects. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so how do we feel about the role of Jonathan? See, the... the crazy thing is that like you would almost think that like the nomad is like the stand-in for the audience you know but it's like then what is tina doing <laughs> i don't even think that he's a stand-in for the audience actually because he has well, his he's own... the one who gets to ask questions and have things like explained to him that's you know? true i just think he's ineffective at it <laughs> Right, because he he's too go with the flow. He's like, just give me strudel, babe. Like yep. he's too down to clown. Literally, Newt's like, and like, go feed this giant thing, and he's just like, bet, he give me a chicken breast. Yeah, he takes a bucket of raw meat. Like, ew, what? <laughs> if someone, if a stranger invites you into their suitcase and hands you a bucket of raw meat, run. Just How about we run. just, okay. if someone invites you into their suitcase, run. No, that's not an immediate no-go for me. <laughs> yeah, what's in the suitcase? 
Um, the thing is that like th- that person, the- Jonathan, he exists, and we know him. A, a man who, when c- confronted with anything extraordinary, is like, I I must learn more. Our dear friend Michael Boothby from the movie Night Crew is pretty much Jonathan. I think he would react exactly the same for the entirety of this film. You are that, so yeah. four thousand percent right. Like from every angle, correct. Yep. <laughs> if a girl was like, he's the guy. Where if a girl was like, hey, I saw you checking me out, he'd be like, ah, uh, yeah, man, I meant to be more subtle than that, but you're beautiful. Yep. You know. <laughs> and it would also work for him. I've seen it, it work, work for him. For him. <laughs> Oh, I'm just thinking about when um, Newt Scamander like puts like ru- a rugby helmet on um, on Jonathan and is just like, uh, just in case, you know. <laughs> I can just picture Michael Boothby being like, "Okay, cool, thanks, man." Okay, dope. Yeah, thanks for the protection. <laughs> yeah. Do I need more protection? Should I have brought more protection? I mean, I'm still down, but like, I just want to know. Like, right. It's very interesting. Yeah. So basically, like the plot of this film, like. You know, I'm a book editor, and, like, if I received this as, like, a book, for example, with all of the elements and the characters, I would probably be, like, let me, like, pay me to help you figure this out. Because you have some really strong pieces here, and, like, I don't, like, we can definitely order these in a way that makes more sense. And my first example is Colin Farrell's character. I love this villain so much. He's, like, so... He's, like, obviously a villain just from the way that he, like, looks. He wears a long trench coat. His hair is slicked back. He talks all quiet in dark alleyways. But, like, he is so weird in this film. Like, really incongruous. He never has any interaction with our main character, whom I maintain is Newt Scamander. Like, it's just, like, a weird... He was all... He, too, was shoehorned into this film. And it sucks because... I love him. He's a great mm-hmm. foil. Every time he yeah. does show up, he wrecks the scene in exactly the right way. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so hear me out. In my mobster version of this movie. Right. Okay. He's the the cop. Like, he's the narc that is also working on this case, but he's part of the mob. You know what right. I mean? Like he's, he's the actually, ba- um the bad cop. Yeah, What's he's the, covering for them. Like a dirty cop, is that right? Stool pigeon. I don't think that's oh. right. That's, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm trying to use the only twenties lingo I know. <laughs> well now you also know muggle. <laughs> and jazz. And jazz. <laughs> jazz. <laughs> Is there? Oh yeah, there is like the bar scene. I was like, is there even any jazz in this film? We but there's that bar scene. One weird speakeasy. Real quick question: Why bother as the magical world making alcohol illegal? <laughs> why I don't do- know if it's like they just have to play it safe because the muggle. It's not legal for the muggles, but at the same time, like, if, like isn't any like isn't the leaky cauldron like a speakeasy to muggles? It's like you can't really find it. They yeah. get raided, and it's unclear why other than that you have a general perception of like it's the 20s prohibition yeah the uh the owner let the cops know that they were there because remember when he's talking to him and they say we're getting raided and he's like sorry baby what you gonna do or something like that yes then like why would like a bar like why would bar raid be like part of their you know what i mean like if if a cop was coming for like a person i don't think i'd be like we're getting raided oh my god what's happening to you 
I think the loudest car in the entire world just turned on. Oh my god, I can hear it. <laughs> I I can see that you can hear it. It's picking up <laughs> strong on this. I'm just going to mute the mic until it's done. Y'all continue. Oof. Well. Shit, what were we saying? We were talking about the prohibition. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I think I think they were probably just raiding for that and because of it being a criminal hotbed, everyone there probably oh. was doing some crime. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. So it might be a a bunch of individual evacuations as opposed to one mass exodus from the location. Yeah. Can you still hear the car? No, not really. Okay, sorry. I absolutely have to bust in with the... (laughs) I was going to smoke a muggle, then I did crime. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nice. That's that's it. That's my contribution. (laughs) Um, and the the other thing that I love so much about Jonathan is that, like, in addition to be a fully, re- in addition to being a fully realized character, they give him a lot of really good comedy bits as well, including in the bar scene. The giggle water is like so funny. I want a bottle of giggle water. It reminds me of shrooms. We can just take shrooms. <laughs> I don't know. I prefer the like three second version as opposed to the right. six hour version. <laughs> That is what what Shrooms feels like to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just love it so much. The juxtaposition is great. And it like lends itself to his his whole demeanor of like being completely unaffected by this ride he's on. Well, and then when he goes back for seconds, that's the best part. He's like, not only am I so on, but fuck yeah, let's do it again. (laughs) And then (laughs) goes about their day. Um, that's, that's like really missed on like modern day sorority girls, like giggle water shots sound like a thing that would go over splendidly at a sorority. Oh yeah. It sounds cute. It sounds low calorie. (laughs) Yes, it does sound low calorie. It also sounds like a thing that would be just like delightful in a mimosa for brunch. You know what I mean? Oh my God. A little giggleosa. Yeah. So you're just like taking a little sip and like. Giggling with your gal pals. <laughs> but then, like, you start fighting, so you're like, hey, bitch, I told you you needed to get me that dress back in time for my date last night. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I dislike my female friends as much as you. <laughs> well, I'm pretending I'm 10 years younger and in a sorority. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Um, kind of like hand in hand with talking about the Colin Farrell character is Credence, who is the hottest man with the absolute most god awful haircut. The worst haircut. He's a very hot human being. You can't tell. You really can't tell. I know, tell. it's actually impossible. Men, if you ever want, actually anyone, you know what, this goes for anyone. If you ever want a study in how a haircut can change your entire face and persona, <laughs> it's this movie. <laughs> It's true. Yeah. Um, so he, I mean, okay, what do, what do we make of Credence? How do, how do we like the, I mean, because he really ends up being like the whole point of the movie. And that's unfortunate. Yep. <laughs> because I just, I, I understand the wanting the idea of an Obscurus out there. Like, I understand that the big bad wants to harness that power. That I can get. But to then make, because it's almost like she's trying to ham fist this, like, well, what if Harry Potter wasn't cared about by the government of Britain? What if Dumbledore hadn't been there? He would have been this guy or some bullshit like that. Because, like, I don't like there's no need for the film. It's just like a poor, horrible, all things bad with no Hogwarts version of Harry. Yeah, 
I think I I I like the Credence subplot. Like I think the notion of like repressed magic turning into this unstoppable force is like very interesting. Yeah. Again, a really strong piece that doesn't fit quite right. Right. I wish that he had been like one detail of the story rather than like the grand finale. I wish that like every other Obscurus they had mentioned, he was a child. Yeah. I mean, throughout the film, his like sister, who is like maybe like a what, like a ten year old girl, is like the red herring, like the again the most fucking like ham fisted red herring of my life. Just like look at this girl, look how she walks, so weird, like she's full of magic, but indoctrinated into a cult that hates magic, and it's like okay, like I guess it's her. So like, would we do we would we have preferred it be her? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that would have been better. <laughs> Easy, yes. Here's the thing. The only thing you gain by making him an, an adult, so from a plot sense, you gain the red herring thing, which is not that important. The only other thing that you gain is a sense of a conscience, like this this war of him being like, I know enough, like I know better than to be causing this kind of destruction. Like, I know that I'm killing. I know this is bad. You also get that in an eight-year-old. And I think it's actually more interesting in a child because it's more explosive and it's more in line with the way that children behave. Like, it's totally normal for kids to throw temper tantrums, even up until they're 10, on things that are kind of nonsense. So I, I just like it better if it's a kid. I think it has more interesting moral implications and it it makes more sense with the way that it even works in the plot for it to be a child instead of an adult. I think they didn't want to deal with a child actor. Which, I mean, the the actress who plays his younger sister is, like, not a bad child actress. She's really good at acting like a funless, soulless, <laughs> like, anti-magic bitch child. I think <laughs> that kind of back to Andrew's point a little bit, it's a Harry Potter, like, backlash decision. Yeah. yeah. Where you're watching the first movie and you're like, 11 year olds, rough, man. Yeah. And like, you're like, let's not do that again. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah, I do. The thing is that I really enjoy Credence's dynamic with Colin Farrell's character, whom I can't remember because he's just Colin Farrell. But here's the thing like, Colin Farrell isn't just Colin Farrell. Like, I just can't remember the guy's name. I want, let's talk about Johnny fucking Depp, dude. Because in this movie, he plays Johnny fucking Depp. And like albino Johnny Depp. Yeah, albino, albino Johnny Depp. He almost reminds me of like if Johnny Depp had wandered into Narnia and become like the consort to the, the ice white queen. Witch. Yeah, yes. the white witch. Yeah. Here's the thing: we get such a small taste of Johnny Depp in the at the very end of this film. It just like the reveal doesn't. It's so insignificant. It doesn't feel earned at all. I hate it immediately. Yeah, I hate it immediately. It's so significant because that's the whole point of the fucking movie is to get to that one scene. Like the like the movie has what it's actually about. And then the movie has that it was chosen to be made as a surprise vehicle for the fucking Grindelwald trilogy. Why is Grindelwald in New York City? Right. No, no here's the thing. It's not good. Like, it's not... How is Grindelwald in New York City? They had previously cast a Grindelwald for the Harry Potter movie. We see a very brief glimpse of him jumping out of the Wandmaker's shop, and that's a better Grindel- Grindelwald. Yeah, God, that's for sure. Johnny Depp is like the weirdest casting. Like, let's cast anyone better. Yeah, like cast literally one, anyone. Cast, cast, who would you cast as Grindelwald? 
honestly the creepy looking dude who played him in the Harry Potter films. I don't yeah, actually yeah. know the actor's name. I only otherwise know him from Sweeney Todd. He's the like the lover boy in Sweeney Todd. Oh, okay, so he has like other acting credits. Yes, and he has a very weird face. Hmm. Like that's his number one credit. He has just he's cast when you need someone whose face goes, oh. Yeah, I do like recognize him now. He's played by Jamie Campbell Campbell Bauer, I guess. That guy. You've seen him in a lot of things because he has a, such a distinctive face. Yeah. But he doesn't, uh, like, there's nothing that he's done that's, like, been big enough to really, like, be like, oh, that's the thing, you know? Right. Yeah, sorry, I'm just investigating this further. Oh, yeah, he was in Sweeney Todd, too. He definitely has a striking face. Just, it's like, <laughs> I mean, if you want me to give a shit about Grindelwald at all, you can't deliver him to me as a fully formed like relentless soulless he's like he has less personality than voldemort he's just like like give me like a flawed empathetic dude who like i can engage with his story you know what i mean like this guy is not a character he's like a plot point go into any of the deathly hallows stuff that is so interesting and like his obsession with it and his start with it like all of that stuff is fascinating you know what's not fascinating Watching someone that you really like as a villain pursuing an alternative po- plot point for an entire film only to at the end be revealed as, you know, someone else you're supposed to care about. And it makes it not at all work as a standalone film, not just in terms of like the universe, but in terms of like this as a potential series. Right. It's like um, if you're if you're like drafting a book, you know, like the, and you're like, I hope this is going to be the first in a series. It, y- you don't do this because what if it's fucking not the first in a series? What if you, no one wants to publish anything again? But that's Harry Potter money. They're like, they're going to publish this whole five film series. Yeah, so. this was supposed to be. Hold on. You didn't you didn't hit that enough. This is supposed to be five fucking films. I know. Brooke told me this yesterday and I screamed and I was like, damn, I should have mm. saved that reaction to do live on the podcast. What in the fuck are you doing for five movies? Yeah, I definitely am just like not going to financially support that kind of choice. Um, so here's the thing is that so what it is conceptually, I'm saying that with like the stankiest stank face. Yeah, it was a really Disdain good one. Incarnate. Thank you. So the what the idea is that this is set five years prior to Grindelwald being defeated by Dumbledore. And the idea is that each film covers a year in his rise to power and ultimate defeat by Dumbledore. Well, you know how so often in our lives we can define things by the exact year instead of like the era that it happened. You know, like you think back to 2016 and remember everything that happened from start to finish. I do have one friend who is like, who is like a, I'm like, do you remember when we like went to that concert and she was like, she's like, oh, yeah, that was definitely like early winter 2017. I remember because I had bangs and I was carrying that purse. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) well, if you're like that, then my apologies. But when I I think back, one friend out of all my friends who does that, right? Like, I think like college or like high school or, you know, whatever place I might have been working at or something like that. These are large chunks of time. And I think about those. I can't like. What the fuck would he be doing that's big enough once a year to warrant an entire movie? Like, that's the problem is because it's not a travelogue, because it's not episodic. You're getting one particularly defining moment per year. Right. Like one two week period. Y'all, it's early fall. This is when Grindelwald does his thing. Like, we know we've got (laughs) nine months that he's not going to do shit and he's just going to build up. 
<laughs> to be fair, that's how the entire Harry Potter series works, and no one's ever called it out. <laughs> but but there's enough like school bullshit. Like the school year is what makes it so you can stretch those books out into like it takes the whole year every year. For me personally, if this is supposed to be a, a series about Grindelwald, you need to start with a strong hook to make me give a shit about Grindelwald, right? And like this film doesn't do that. This film gives me a lot of feelings about every other character in the world besides Grindelwald. What would have been a great hook to Grindelwald is if the first time I meet him, he is like sitting with his best friend Dumbledore talking maybe a little too closely over a piece of paper or something like give me yeah. something where like don't be like grand reveal and I am the villain Grindelwald it's like make me like figure out who he is for myself and like see how he is and like knowing where he's gonna go you know and then like let that play out I want to see their lovers quarrel like I want to yes. see them I want to yeah. start the Grindelwald story with the moment that they split Yes, that's the only that like them splitting would have been like the should have been the finale of the first Grindelwald film. You know but what it I mean? Has yeah. no place in a Fantastic Beasts film. It's so weirdly right. shoehorned. It is so shoehorned, in fact, that you could have swapped out all of the beast stuff with the other book, which is the Quidditch through the ages, right, and just yes. made this a Quidditch movie. And it wouldn't have changed a damn thing. Absolutely, I'm actually thinking about how. Um, for a while there, Star Wars was releasing a trilogy episode and then a one-off episode in alternating. Year, yeah. So, like, release the first Grindelwald film, then release the Fantastic Beast film, release the second Grindelwald film, release the Quidditch Through the Ages film. You know, like, it doesn't... They don't have to be connected. They're, they're trying to do everything at once, and yet they're being lazy about it. Well, and part of it, too, is... And th this is the part that frustrates me the most is they've been so locked within like about a hundred year frame in this franchise, right? Like they need to do what Star Wars did and just go like 2000 years ago. Just Take us say to fuck the all. Founders. Yeah. There's so much we could do with this. Or not even the founder. Like do a complete generation that no one knows anything. Right. And you can do tell whatever fucking story you want. Yeah, and, like, th there's a way to artfully do Easter eggs that isn't, like, let's shoehorn every possible element from the original series into this new thing. Right. And, like, the and the coolest thing is, is the further you go back, the more you can imply that, like, wizards change the direction of human history. Right? right. Because if you're going back to, like, the time of the Romans, you can say whatever the fuck you want. Like... Yes, there will be historical things that go against you, but you can probably find shit that's like worded with weird things about magic. Well, you know? it's also fantasy, so right. make up a different history. I would love to have seen like the dragon tamers of the East show us right. like, yeah. like, you know, like literally anything. But here's yeah. the thing is like, once again, I don't dislike this movie. I just dislike that they shoehorned it into a larger franchise. Like, as a standalone film, if you cut that Grindelwald bit off the end and you remove Tina completely, it's yeah. a fun, great movie. I really enjoy seeing all these mm -hmm. magical creatures. I don't actually need to know any more about them than we do. <laughs> right, no, for sure. Just let me look at them. Good yep. job. We find out exactly enough. Blow all your budget on CGI. Don't even worry about a named <laughs> actor. You don't need them. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that like the face level surface plot is extremely fun. It's like a very video gamey, like monster of the moment type thing. It's like, and now we have to get this thing. And then there's here's the obstacle. And then now we got the thing and it's a different obstacle this time. And now we got the next thing, you know, and mm -hmm. it, that, that's fun, you know, and yep. like as a standalone, that could have been very fun. 
How, how about this? How about Planet Earth, but for the just for magical creatures? An hour and oh, a half, yeah. narrated by Stephen Fry, where he's just like. <laughs> And here we have the, you know, rumpet. Watch out. Don't get too close to the hole. You know, just <laughs> just magical British man tells magical stories about magical creatures for an hour and a half. I would have been so in. I could have had the entire plot of this film take place in Newt's suitcase. Yeah. Like have that something. That would have been so funny if like the whole thing takes place. And then like at the end, you learn you learn a suitcase the whole time. Yeah. Like have <laughs> something escape in the suitcase. Like have... Have someone that, like, smuggled themselves in, in the suitcase. like Yeah, because you can do everything with the suitcase. Like, mm-hmm. it could be much bigger than what we saw. Yep, because New There's York City adds nothing to this plot. Yeah, like, and I, I mean, like, as an American, I don't value being shown Americans. No. Um, like, one of the most charming parts of the Harry Potter series is that it's British. I don't want to learn about magical Congress. That sounds, that... You made magic sound deeply uninteresting. Congratulations. I kind of wanted to learn about magical congress. I, well, here's my problem with it is like, <laughs> instead of if you were going to show us what the American wizarding world looks like, if that's the point, show us that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't just bring it up all the time in one-off lines that we never hear about again. They bring up the magical school Ilvermore or whatever it is. Ilvermorny. And they're literally just like, yep, lob that in there and it's gone. Like, Yeah, and it's gone. <laughs> we don't learn anything about it. And like, I, I would just rather, I would rather know more or know nothing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yep. I really hate just like, here's a parallel. Did you ever wonder if Americans also had this? Gosh darn it, they do. Not only do they have it. Well, actually, yeah, that's all we're going to say. That's all we're going to move on. Move on. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely like highly reactive to the Harry Potter series in every way. You know what it ends up being like is that scene from Love Actually where the English guy goes to the um, goes to America and he just shows up in fucking Wisconsin and goes to a bar and it's a bunch of American girls just pointing at things and giggling when he says it in a British accent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's literally just like, what do you call that? And he's like, bottle. And they're like, bottle. <laughs> and then they get to table and he's like, table and they go "Mm, it's pretty much the same like that's how everything in the american wizarding world is handled in this movie yeah yeah it's like when she when tina first is like what was that guy a nomad it's like almost delivered like a joke like we're supposed to be like now what the heck is a nomad that's a new and different term i'm interested about yeah and like zero out of ten on them arguing about it later yeah, for Where sure. They're like, you're a nomad. And he's like, what's a nomad? And they're like, non-magic. And then he's like, or a muggle. And they're like, you and your silly British words, it's a nomad. I'm like, I don't you know, care about like this. like how people yeah. talk. <laughs> like how people talk. Did anyone else have an issue with the reckless abandon police seem to just walk up to people in America and grab them and apparate with them. Yeah, that's incredibly alarming. Because, like, even Dumbledore is like, now hold on tight, Harry. We're gonna do this together. (laughs) (laughs) And they're just like, yoink, and just... It just, it seems... Seems unnecessarily dangerous. <laughs> Does anyone besides Tina do it, or is it just fucking Tina fucking shit up? 
Because <laughs> she does it a couple times, but like, does Colin do it? Colin Farrell does it a few times okay. as well. Well, he's an asshole. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you're supposed to. So the villain and the main support character. <laughs> it's it's literally done with the same amount of blasé as, to once again make a Twilight reference, like Edward just swooping in and like displacing people. Or like yeah. any of the vampires just displacing people. And it's right. like, yeah, no one seems to react to how fucking alarming that is. Yeah, extremely alarming. Especially if you end up somewhere like a roof. If you're mid-stride and all of a sudden you're walking off a roof. I can barely just be mid-stride by itself. I would fall every time. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. One other thing that I like didn't love the implications of. It's like, yeah, I see you're trying to do something cool here. So the president... I guess of magical Congress is a black woman. That's fun to look at. Did the wizarding world in America overcome sexism and racism um, and like not do anything to help the muggle world with that like incredibly serious complex issue? Yeah. And why is the British magical system still shown to be 99.99999% white if that's yeah. the case it just seems a little lopsided it's not like i want to be like hey that that wasn't right don't put a black woman in this role but it again just seemed like they were they were trying too hard none of the other characters were black at all <laughs> Um, it was just like the president who got like two lines in which she was really bitchy. They even have like a black coded character in the speakeasy who's an a goblin, a, a I goblin think. Oh, house elf, elf, house elf, yeah, yeah. something, it, something that is not human. And it's like, okay, you didn't even, you didn't want to put one other black person <laughs> in this whole film. I know it's hard to find American black actors and actresses, but like, I'm sure you did the your best. You did your absolute best. It's, it's one of those things where like, it is cool, but one of the things is like, yeah, again, not saying like, don't do that, but it is one of those things where you've set your movie in the 20s in New York. Like, there's a lot that's wrapped up in that. And you can't just kind of, it feels inauthentic to hand wave yes. that. Yes. Yeah, it feels totally inauthentic. Like, don't make the shitty president the only black character. Give us, like, a really good, well-developed black main character who's talking about these issues. Show us a variety of people of color functioning right. in the ministry so that we at least get this understanding of, like, hey, the wizarding world doesn't have this divide because it is just all white people and then one black president. Yeah, like all yeah. of the ministry like extras are just like the most the most white suit wearing just like bank manager type. Yep. Yeah. There there like you just can't pretend like it's not even a consideration right. when you've set your film in the 20s in New York City. Right. And like, I don't remember either seeing like a ton of women hustling and bustling around the ministry. The ones I'm thinking of are, I think Queenie works there as like a secretary, maybe like even like a cleaning person. She's a secretary. She a mentions secretary. that. Okay. That okay. She's a secretary. The only other women I remember seeing um, are the two executioners, which like we should probably talk about that. 
Well, and their played off is more of nurses. Nurses, in that too. yeah. So they're like super. Oh, honey. Weird well, actually, women. That, there's a uh, there, that's that's another weirdly chosen black person is the executioner. Yeah, you're right. Nurse. That was a black woman. One of them. I think that they're patterned on like mental institutions at the time. Like it okay. felt very lobotomy esque the well, way that they that handled in the it. Ministry. Why do they have that in the ministry? No, I'm so sorry. Magical Congress. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I mean the, people were sentenced to be lobotomized in that time frame, right? So I mean that that's that's how it reads to me. I know, but no, you don't do it inside the governmental building. <laughs> I mean, all asylums were state run at the time, but you didn't do it in the capital in the courthouse, building, is right? What you're saying, yeah. Well, once again, you know they've got to consolidate their space, right? Because they are not they're they're magical and they got to keep secrecy and all that. So I mean, like. It does actually kind of track to me that all the departments of magical, because like St. Mungo's is, no, I mean, it's different than the ministry, but it, it's played as pretty, pretty close by, at least. Like, but I don't the, know. The issue is like that works for the UK because it's a small, densely populated country. Right. The yeah. US isn't. Right. For sure. Um, also, you know, there's more, yeah, there's like more spare room in America, for sure. Like, why are you in New York City? Like, go to north northern new york where there's just room and there aren't people trying to wander into your buildings but anyway um (laughs) so the way so basically at some point tina and newt get sentenced to death by grindelwald is that right yep (laughs) yep (laughs) and and they get taken down to this room that reminded me of this whole scene reminds me of an Austin Powers scene um, where they're like, <laughs> they like enchant Tina so that she like looks down into this basin of water and she like they take a memory out of her brain. And so she's like seeing her mom in her childhood um, and she's like, I want to go to that. And so she like gets in this chair that dentist floats. chair yeah a yeah, bad dentist, dentist chair from yeah the, that like floats over this the hallucination void water <laughs> well like, it's a what is, is it it's on. a pensieve it's like a pensieve but it's but it's made out of with, acid yes it's an acid <laughs> pensieve <laughs> and like why is the chair involved why not just let her jump right into the water like why <laughs> It's so stupid. It's a boiling a lobster scenario. You just got to lower it in slowly. This is the 1920s. You know that the person who produces those chairs has an exclusive contract with the senator (laughs) that they paid a lot of money to get that contract. There is a reason that you use the dentist chair every time. I want to know how often they use this system (laughs) exactly it's like a giant room to be wasted on this and like you see why it reminds me of austin powers because it's like this seems deeply unnecessarily escapable yeah they also like have full-time staff members who apparently just escort people down and kill them like (laughs) like kindly grandmother types like you didn't have to like call them in they were already there there. Like an ambulance in a football game, just like standing right. around like, we're here, don't worry. <laughs> if you need to sentence anyone to death today, well, it's me and Mavis, we're ready. 
Are they there 24 hours a day? Do you have to hold someone overnight until the full-time executioners get in? It's a three-shift position, okay? There is a solid... (laughs) And there's, like, two of them, too. It's just, like, like, that has to be a waste of funds at some point to be staffing this whatever. Especially because you're paying New York City salary prices. Once again, (laughs) why New York City? I don't fucking know why New York City like I cannot explain it like I because it looks cool because reasons here's my other other thing about setting this in the U.S. you didn't do a damn thing with the U.S.'s entire native populations uh, of which like magical elements are a part of folklore and like well established in a way that they're not in white America because we're descended from Puritans. Except for they gave a white boy a Thunderbird. They did do that. And, you know, a Thunderbird that was supposed to be going back to Arizona where you could find a lot of, you know, native indigenous peoples who (laughs) could have brought this journey full force. I was going to mention this, like, I've avoided mentioning this, but J.K. Rowling has, among many other things, come under fire for writing shittily about Native American magic and lore. Uh, Listen, given the way that she used the Greek and Latin languages, I bet everything was appropriate and properly spelled out. Dude, take whatever you want from the Greeks and the Latin and the Romans. Like, they're the reason that we have white people. So, like, I'm not that worried about that. Well, it's just the mixing of the two for... Never mind. JK, this is from March 9th, 2016. J.K. Rowling has been accused of appropriating the living tradition of a marginalized people by writing about the Navajo legend of the Skinwalker in a new story. The Harry Potter author posted the first part of a four-part series, The History of Magic in North America, on her website, Pottermore, on Tuesday. Tying into the release of the Fantastic Beasts films. Um, The author was strongly criticized online by a number of voices from Native American communities, particularly over her writing about skinwalkers, which in Navajo legend are said to be evil witches or wizards who can take on the form of animals. uh, Rowling writes that the myth has its basis in fact. um, A a legend grew up around the Native American animagi that they had sacrificed close family members to gain their powers of transformation. In fact, the majority of Animagi assumed animal forms to escape persecution or to hunt for the tribe. Um, such derogatory rumors often orig- originated with nomad medicine men who were sometimes faking magical powers themselves and fearful of exposure. So not only do we get that brilliant little taste of <laughs> approaching that subject, we also just didn't. We knew about that. We thought about that. We just thought not to include it in this movie where we included everything else. Right. That is right. Um, I think that maybe would have taken work and involved finding one Native American person, bare minimum, and listening. Um, And that that just sounds so hard, doesn't it? Especially when you're all the way over in the UK. Well, and I think one of J.K. Rowling's biggest weaknesses, and there are many to choose from, but... (laughs) She is one of those people who, if she thinks she's correct, she believes that there's no reason to doubt her. And so the very act of doubting her makes 
you wrong and invalid in her mind. And that's important because when it comes to things like dealing with cultural legends, if you think to yourself that it's not a big deal and you can edit it however you want, then when someone tells you that you're wrong and it's a big deal, you're just going to double down and reassure yourself that it's not a big deal. Because like she kind of did that with a lot of myths all over the world. But the problem is, is that they didn't get enough attention. And then also the cultures might just not, you know, have the knowledge of what she's doing. But that's what she does. She just doesn't give a shit. She makes it her own and makes it like, this will work better for my story. And it's never been a big deal because it's been, you know, shit. Because that- I, I am white and I'm from white people. Yeah. Well, the other issue is just that, like, people really love to shit on America. I get it. There's a lot of shit that we get wrong. That being said, we're also an incredibly beautiful, shockingly diverse country with a bunch of different historical traditions all woven into one And if you take on writing something that is meant to encompass an an America as a whole, it's a a goddamn shame to a crime to not engage with all of it. Right. It definitely it's so very much reads like someone who does not live here being like, well, what you know, like if I wrote a book set in the UK, it might just be set in London because that's a place I know. in the uk but it's like if hogwarts was also in london you know what i mean where it's like everything's in new york city right everything um i think technically Elvermorny is supposed to be set in massachusetts but they don't go there during this movie so it doesn't matter yeah but it's one of those things where it's just like there's so much there's so much of america and like yeah it, it just continually comes off as someone who didn't care about American history, doesn't actually care about American geography, doesn't care about anything, American (laughs) mythos, American native people, nothing. And then just was like, what do we know about America? New York City. Great. Pop it in New York City. Prohibition. That was dumb of them. Yep. Prohibition. We hated that. Cops and mostly bad ones. Make make sure that there's a bad cop. Mm -hmm. Bad cop. Mm -hmm. Bad cop. Mm -hmm. Bad cop. The subway. Oh, subway. I... I love the subway. Oh, and we've also got we've got uh, uh, immigrants with immigrants with dreams, right? A Polish man who yep. wants to make his grandmammy's bakery. And we're not we're not we're not going to acknowledge <laughs> the fact that it was not going to happen to him for him because of the things outside of his control. Because he got it in the end. His magical friend gave him the magical silver eggshells that allowed him to get it. Which so that's thing. a success story. I have no problem with that because I love that he wants to open a bakery based on his grandma's. Or- grandmother's recipes and that is a beautiful plot line and i love everything about it but yeah you're just not it's once again a thing that's just like tossed on in there instead of like teased out or explored in any meaningful way yeah right if a polish man with a dream was like the worst offense in this film that'd be fine but it's just the cherry on top of a lot of other really half-baked things so let's circle back um i want to be sure to end this episode with What did we enjoy about this? So I'd like to just kind of talk about the magical creatures themselves for a little bit because they're quite fun and we haven't really gotten the opportunity to explore them. I think the one that we did mention, um, well, we've mentioned the Thunderboard, of course, which is like, that's cool. That's fun to watch. Um, Cultural appropriation aside, um, I don't, you know, he he is a magical creature named Frank the Thunderbird. (laughs) Do I love the way that they use him to make obliviating rain? I don't love that, but I do love that he gets to fly away home. Here's the thing. If all Thunderbirds can make obliviating rain, then like, 
How do people How do remember anything? <laughs> yeah, and like I don't buy it <laughs> from like a magical science perspective that you could like make that happen as a wizard to a thunderbird. It's also a thing where it's like so specific what they like how does it erase just memories of wizards that happened right now and also what about anyone who was literally just watching out of a window right and like some well it shows people inside apartments experiencing the obliviation and like some people only need like 10 minutes obliviated but some people like jonathan needs like what like three days of his life obliviated like what is happening yeah. what is happening a lot of very uncomfortable things <laughs> I did want to talk about that. Like, how do we feel about the film's choice to obliviate Jonathan at the end? Zero out of ten. I wanted Queenie to protect. I know. Yeah. Just don't do that. No one's watching you. Yep. I, I, I've been on record before saying that I am not a fan of messing with people's memory and things yeah. like that. I think it's a really fucked up thing that is treated way too, way too blasé in the yeah. wizarding world. And. I, this is like the ultimate example of that, right? Like we are going to make an entire, are you telling me there's not a single fucking reporter at the New York times in 19, who's going to sit there and be like, Hey, does anyone else notice how no one remembers the last few days? Right. That's like the kind of thing that could like ruin your life. If yes. you like can't ever explain what has happened to you. Also, yeah. people took a bunch of pictures yeah okay yeah um, like, okay so i guess we can't talk about it too much and we hate it so we um, want yes. him to be with queenie so back to fun magical creatures right. i love every single scene where we're just chasing the niffler quite frankly niffler. it works for me dude give me a whole tv show like zaboomafoo but instead of a lemur or whatever right a lemur yep just make Nelly it the niffler yeah, make it a Niffler. <laughs> it's just so fun. And it's fun because it also plays on like weird 20s tropes of like jewel thieves and bank robbers. You know yeah, what I mean? It's thematically appropriate and like completely adorable and also extraordinarily ridiculous because it can carry like 30 times its body weight in jewels in like this magical pouch. And its weight is unaffected. No, his weight is affected. There's a point where we see him and he's just like so fat in a bank vault just trying to I stuff more that. diamonds in. I love well, it. Well, like he, he's he's like having trouble stuffing them. Then uh, Newt just picks him up and shakes him. <laughs> right? Which like with the number of gold bars that fall out, that like lifting him this far would have been an act of incredible strength. You're talking like of several hundred pounds of Niffler. To be Newt's fair, cool. Newt is taking care of like a lot of magical creatures and does a lot of crazy shit to do that i imagine he has farm boy strength true 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 oh yeah i read a trivia fact that said that they um filmed one shirtless scene of eddie redmayne ah! um showing off his magical creature scars and he like really bu apparently bulked up for that scene and then they cut it <laughs> well, here's the thing a bulked eddie redmayne is still <laughs> No, I know. He's not a he's not a beefcake. And that's okay. Like I don't think anyone wants him to be a beefcake. No, for surely not. I don't think I don't think he went full um Chris Hemsworth on this. I think he was like, wow, any definition would be nice if they're gonna film me shirtless. <laughs> he's just like oh a sweet baby. No one needs that. 
Well, and I like, so he has like ongoing relationships with this Niffler is like his, his like ongoing, uh, like uh, he's encourageable. I love that so much. It's so cute. And then there's the bow truckle um, that also is like a persistent um, presence in the film. Um, and it just characterizes Newt so much because whenever he's talking to humans or standing next to humans he's like so painfully awkward but like with these creatures he's so nice and sweet and confident that's like i think the main thing is his like confidence shifts so much him doing him confidently doing the mating dance for <laughs> the what is that called the like rhino the rumpent the rumpent, the rumpent. rumpent. yes it's just so delightful that he's yeah. like observe this creature enough that he can like replicate this very complicated mating dance well and i'm sure you like you know that for a split second he's like well jonathan's gonna think this is completely ridiculous but i must commit yep (laughs) i don't think he even cares and like that's what i love about his character is he's he's only concerned about the magical creatures right and like that's great because as long as you balance him out with someone else like jonathan who cares about people just a little bit. Right. It's fine that he doesn't care about people. Well, and and Jonathan is what makes Newt into I mean, it would it would be really hard to relate to a main character like Newt who who did not care about anyone else, but by the end of the film Newt is like I'm doing this because you're my friend. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm so glad that you felt the same way about your relationship that we've been feeling this whole time because I wasn't (laughs) sure. It's delightful. It is delightful. So, like, the grand finale uh, magical creature is the Akami, which is, like, a snake-like bird that changes size to fit the space, which is, like, a very cool concept for a magical creature. When it escapes from Newt, it breaks into a Macy's and takes up a department store. So it is, like, bigger than a dragon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and absolutely terrifying. What happens if one gets outside? Dude, I don't know. And like, I was, I kept telling myself like, okay, I guess Newt has some kind of a spell in his suitcase because they're just out in the open in but, his yeah. suitcase. Like, I think it has to be in a contained space in order to do that because we see it invisibly going through New York City and it's like stealing a lollipop and like doing no, other little the, things. Um, that's the demi guys. The yeah. monkey thing. The, the oh. nanny. The nanny that's taking care of the... Right. Oh. Because I thought... Because we see the Akami get into, like, a tower at one yeah. point and then just, and like, you poof. see the tail. So I wonder if, like, whatever size it is, that's the size it stays until it finds another container. So, like, if you had, like, taken the roof off of that Macy's, it would have <laughs> unleashed a nightmare into the world. <laughs> like... Like, a dragon is a terrifying concept. It's gigantic. It can really fuck you up in a lot of ways without even knowing that you're near it. But, like, put a bird face on it, and, like, that (laughs) is my nightmare. Put a bird on it. See, I think it's really cute. No, I hated it. It was so scary. 
I don't see it as scary at all. But part of the reason is like, it's hard to see anything as scary when you're viewing all of these creatures through Newt's eyes and expertise. It's true. But there is that like split second when, okay, they're like, okay, we need a bug and a teapot and they need to put the bug in the teapot. The Akame will go in the teapot and we'll be like to get the bug and we'll become the size of the teapot. And there's that split second when they find the roach and they hold it up and like everything stills and the bird is just like staring. And I, that freaked me out. That is scary. Tina, I hate, I really hate to contradict you here, but you, you messed up a critical line because What? what they actually said was we need someone to expertly hold this teapot in a way that is significantly <laughs> different than any other right. character could hold this we teapot. Need the protagonist teapot. <laughs> Tina, do you have us? The protagonist <laughs> teapot sounds like a literary term that should exist. <laughs> I don't know See, what it means, but... <laughs> Johnson, your paper's weak. You're just using a protagonist teapot. Like, we've right. all seen it all before. The, the Mary weak. Sues are using the protagonist <laughs> teapot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, we don't get to spend nearly enough time with the Demi guys, but, like, I love that Love creature. that character. Yeah, it's, I, I it's like a... I would say character. It's a mind-reading <laughs> monkey. I don't know. It's got soulful eyes. Like, give me a whole... Give me a whole season of this Fantastic Beast show about the Demi guys, because this... Here's the thing. If... If I picked up a book and I read it and it was like, this is about this character and his pet Demi guys, I would be like, congrats. Well done. I guess you came up with a forever plot generator mm -hmm. in this Demi guys. And so I would have been like, that's kind of lazy to inve invent like a forever, <laughs> a forever plot maker. But on the flip side in this film, this creature does nothing. Like there's so much more that this creature should and could be doing to this plot. Also, I want to see it interact with Queenie. I want Queenie to be reading his mind as he's seeing the future. And I want them to develop a friendship because they both have this like weird, like psychological thing that they can't control that really dictates yeah. the way that people interact with them. They didn't address that at all. Is she even in that scene? She doesn't. She is. Oh, yeah, because she's, she's the in the corner. Who, like, kicks the yeah. thing and starts the thing. She doesn't do a ton, which is fine. She, so she kicks a Christmas a ball bell? and oh, Christmas ball. sets all of this off. But if she can read minds, shouldn't she have seen that? She can't read the future. But I know, no, but, but the, if she but can the, read his, the, the Demi the guy's mind, yeah. wow. Maybe it doesn't work on animals? I want it to, or, though, because I want them to have a friendship. <laughs> right, right, right. Maybe the reason that she steps on it is because she's reading the mind and is seeing the vision and doesn't realize that she's actively moving and stepping on it at that time. Oh, or maybe she's like, it's the only way. Yeah, this must, this is the way. This is the way. <laughs> um, And then, like, The whole subplot with Newt and this Obscurus from Africa. Is that right? Yeah, this is uncomfortable. Sudan. Sudan. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's so basically, as we mentioned, like uh, in this world, when a, a, a magical person doesn't get magical training, they can be like so repressed that they start turning into this like unstoppable magical like raw force they d seems that they develop a secondary creature that is just a house for their uncontrolled magic yeah and it seems to only In come about to them yes physically? yes that's why um... it's that's why it's able to be separated yeah but doesn't credence disappear when i mean when technically when we see wizards do the shadow speed run uh, version of uh, whatchamacallit, apparating. 
they kind of disappear uh-huh. in the same way. I think it's a similar thing where you just kind of go non-corporeal and... Because uh, Newt has an Obscura that was separated from its host that ultimately died. I know. So to me, I was like, oh, he like took it away from her and she fucking died because they're not supposed to be separated. That's like how I felt. No, I think that the Obscurus eats you regardless. Yeah, I think think it's parasitic. Yeah, Uh, it builds and builds and builds and then... And it is important that they note that it's not just uncontrolled magic, it's actively repressed magic. magic. Right, yeah, yeah. I think it's an important difference. But it comes out in uncontrollable outbursts, pretty much, of just like, of like raw... Violence. Explosive violence, Yeah. yeah. So like, is it weird... I mean, do we think the book was trying to... No, it's not a book. It's a movie. Do we think that it was trying to be like, yeah, this is a magical creature too? I think that Newt's the only one that sees it that way because I get the impression he's the only one that has ever separated that energy from its host. Yeah. And that's why it's like unusual because he says like, hey, you can't touch that bubble. If you pop that bubble, like it'll also die. So like, I think he has kind of progressed the science and that he's realized that these are two entities one of which is feeding on the other oh yeah so that is a really cool concept that i would love explored more thoroughly in its own film well and i'm not i'm not crazy here right it's supposed to be like a a, uh, like a metaphor for like trauma right like if you have the trauma inside of you and you repress it and push it down and actively try and you know, fight it, it'll come out in these bursts of rage that might eventually overtake you and like Right. Yeah. Yeah. And was it too heavy handed that like I, the if character I, if, was, if I'm getting the reference that easily, yes, it was too heavy handed. Like, like what if we also beat the character <laughs> who has an obscurus? Honestly, like I would have settled for an explanation of that in a flashback as opposed to just being told. I, I think that's a that's a continuous problem that the movie runs into where it tells you things instead of showing you things. You know what? How that could have been resolved is if you give Newt uh, his own trilogy to really explore a comprehensive plot that belongs to him. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can get really into this very interesting stuff. You can watch him have a scientific breakthrough with the Obscurus. Like, oh. But, uh, but I thought we were supposed to be trying to end this and end it on a good note. So... What's everybody's favorite scene? Do you want to do that? I just love, I love when Queenie and Jonathan meet. It's my favorite scene. I think it's just so charming and they hit every note just right. And the actors are just crushing it. Oh, I love it. It's great. What about you, Andrew? I think mine is when Jonathan goes into the suitcase the first time. And it's just that like, oh my God. But like Brooke said, he's just so like, I'm down. Whatever this is, I'm in. It's awesome. Right? Yeah. I think my favorite moment would be like one split second before that when Newt goes into the suitcase and Jonathan is just like, ha! Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And like, there's like a bunch of really small Jonathan moments that I love. Um, I just love everything about him, which leads me nicely into my next question. Who's your favorite character? I think that Jonathan and Queenie are tied for me, but like John, I mean, Jonathan, he just, you got to admire a guy like that. You know, he's great. For me, Queenie just edges him out a little bit just because I, I love her poise on top of it all. I don't know. I just, I love the way that she's portrayed. Absolutely. What about you, Andrew? I think Queenie is just the same, just a little, like just a short little bit edges, edges him out. Yeah. Nobody picked Newt. 
but I no. but the but that's not to say anything against Newt. You know, he's just not quite as colorful as the rest of these characters. Yeah. I see Newt, Queenie, and Jonathan as a delightful trio. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I mentioned this earlier, but we didn't really have the opportunity to touch on it. I mean, do you think that Newt's supposed to be an autistic character? Yes. Even if he wasn't written that way, he was performed that way would be yeah. my answer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's so cool, you know, and that's <laughs> another reason why I'm like, Tina doesn't need to be the protagonist of this film. Nope. Yeah, I, I love him, dude. I just rooted for him the whole time, you know, when he was being illegal, being a little rude. I'm like, good for you, dude. You got you're doing really important things. And I'm just I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Do we want to like rate this film on one to ten just to like uh, take us home? Probably like a six for me. It's a delightful, easy watch. Goes down yeah. easy. Love it. But I, I hate that it turned into a series. <laughs> I like this as a single film. For sure. And like, obviously, even if it was a single film, we did have notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's why I think I would give it. I would give it a seven and a half if you don't pay attention. If you just like, <laughs> just like any good stoner if, movie, <laughs> if you just sit back and watch it and don't really think about what they're saying or any of the problems or the self contradiction of the franchise as we know it or any of that bullshit, it's like a seven and a half. If you actually pay attention, though, it drops tremendously down to like a six. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's fine. It's fine. It, but semicolon, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I would probably also give it a seven. Um, I think it is tragic that I am really into every single moment of this film until the climax. I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't like the rest of this. I'm going to check out now. Yep. That sucks. That's yeah. not how movies work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole rest of the movie up until the climax, I'm pretty cool with that. Like, I'm into it. And even like you could have just faded to black as soon as. <laughs> As soon as Credence takes his obscuri- obscurial form once more and I just let him close the film out there, I'm like, I, there he goes. <laughs> you ruined the world. <laughs> New York City did not recover. <laughs> and <laughs> um, I, I really enjoy it. I like watching it. But um, yeah, you, you should write a story in a way that <laughs> makes the viewer care about your resolution. Yeah. And perhaps the four sequels you're budgeting for. So we will not be covering those. (laughs) (laughs) What if they just crank out like an awesome, like random one? Like the fourth one is just baller. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just am so susceptible to what other people say. So if someone tells me, if someone whose opinion I really value, like you, Brooke, you know, were to be like, this movie was incredible. I'd be like, okay. A little hurtful that you just specified Brooke on that one, but okay, I I accept it. If someone who is very critical, whose opinion I respect. (laughs) (laughs) It's because I'm a bitch. Don't take it personally. (laughs) So here's my thing. What if the fourth one is what this one should have been? Like the fourth one is their ideas. They build up to this whole thing. And right before you think it's going to be like the main blah, blah, blah. The fourth one ends up being the one where they go back and they actually do like it starts with Dumbledore graduating from Hogwarts and like he meets Grindelwald and it does the full backstory. That would be the perfect number four, right? Um, well, I just would be like, why was it written? Why, why did they do it in star Wars order? <laughs> because 
They <laughs> wanted to, to and they could. <laughs> why, why are all the series like this now? Listen, Johnny Depp's hair is only going to be that color for like four months at most. Well, like, he's also been evicted from this franchise. Out, out with Johnny. Yeah, that's a whole scenario. That's that a whole thing whole, I don't want to talk about right now. We're, we're not going to get in it, but like, I just would never have cast him in this role in a million years. Yeah. You could not, I, I, w- I would have picked other bad alternatives. I would have picked Jack Black. I would have picked Ian McKellen. Like, I would have picked... Patton Oswalt. I would have picked Patton Oswalt. Like, I would have picked other worse options. Rather... It's just... Uh, okay. Oh, no, we did it. We did it. We're at the end of the episode. <laughs> I keep harping on about Johnny Depp. Nifflers! Nifflers are Nifflers amazing. are delightful. They are so cute. Would you adopt a Niffler? No. No. <laughs> like a raccoon, right? You're like, that's a cute thing to see from afar. Uh-huh. I, I yeah. will go to my friend who has the Niffler's house, and I will observe for an amount of time that I want to, and then leave and not have to worry about repairs or theft-related... Uh, you know, punishments or anything like that. Until you get in your car and you look at your wrist to see what time it is and you realize that your watch is gone. Why would you bring your watch there? You know what's in that house. That's you on forgot. you. forgot. It's an easy mistake. It's like part of your arm. You couldn't even put it in a metal cage because it would disassemble it and stuff it in its pouch. <laughs> just creatures. He's just so smart and he has opposable thumbs. <laughs> when even Hagrid says they don't make good pets, like... Yeah. That's that means they don't make good pets. It's true. It's true. Well, on that note, thank you so much guys for watching this movie and for chatting with me about it. I'm glad that we all have the exact same opinion of I really enjoyed that it was really fun and yet here are 1000 notes. Yep. <laughs> I loved it. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right, cool. Well, um, next month we're doing something else, so come back for that. Woo! <laughs> Bye! Bye! Bye. Thank you so much for being a patron of the Restricted section. It's because of you that these bonus episodes even exist. Our theme music was written and performed by Ryan Kahn and remixed by Zenit Music Studio. Our logo was designed by Michael Hardison. If you're listening to this episode, the odds are good that you're already connected to us online, but if you're not, come find us on Discord, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and I think that's it. Thanks for supporting the Restricted section. trivia and I didn't have the opportunity to read any of it. I was like, if we run out of things to talk about, I'll start just reading trivia. I'm just going to start reading some of them. Eddie Redmayne originally auditioned for the role of Tom Riddle for Chamber of Secrets. He also auditioned for the role of Kylo Ren and admitted publicly that he did not do well. (laughs) Um, Eddie Redmayne cut his wig himself. Um, The hairdresser of the film believed that Newt would often need to groom on ships and other less than ideal circumstances and like wouldn't have cared about making it look nice. So it says Hammond handed a bewildered Redmayne a pair of rusty kitchen scissors and instructed him to use a nearby closet.
This is the first Harry Potter film to win an Academy Award, the best costume design, which I is weird to me. I also meant to say that it has um, the Rotten Tomatoes score is 74 and the audience score is 79. And I don't think I've ever seen two scores like so close. Everyone else has the exact same opinion as us. It's fine, but it's fun. It's fun, but it's fine. <laughs> Dave X Media.